everyone. Welcome back to Please Stop, the podcast with Katie and Chaz. Thank you so much for listening and being here. I hope that you enjoyed your week-long hiatus as we did. Chaz is now back in the U.S. from Amsterdam. I am still in Austin, Texas with my cat. Katie's going to be in Austin for a while. We'll get into that, though. This is my last podcast in my 20s. Something about it feels special. Please stop. I guess on the other side of 30, I don't really get the hype about like turning 30. I felt ready to turn 30, but I wasn't like, oh my God, this is monumental and like a new decade. Like, I just don't really believe in that stuff. I think like every year is a celebration. Maybe it's because I celebrate every year. Maybe that's it. Since I was little, I looked forward to turning 30 just because I said this in the last pod. I have a good feeling about the number three. I'm excited for you. I'm excited for your birthday. It's going to be such a fun day no matter what we end up doing, which uh, will 0% be taking place in New Orleans. (laughs) Yeah. Hurricane season is a bitch. And especially the fact that the hurricane hit the same day Katrina had hit. I mean, it's just, it's unfortunate that all flights to New Orleans are canceled. Katie and I had very fun plans with a lot of my childhood friends that will just be postponed, but I'm still celebrating. Anyway, there's a lot that's happened since I last recorded. Where would you like to start? The last time we spoke, I had just gotten mistaken for a prostitute and gone on some dates. I, I got mistaken for a prostitute again two more times since we last spoke when I was in the red light district. So the goals originally for booking this trip was to kind of reignite my spontaneity and to build my confidence of solo traveling, to check it off my list as the one thing I have yet to do for self-growth and all those things happened. But what shocked me was the realizations I had. Wait, are you reading from a script? (laughs) No, no, I was. I, I saw you look down. I was like, can you fucking not, please? No, I have text, but I will be referring to my notes. So Katie always says doing things alone is important and a lot easier than we all think. And I've always been really scared to do anything alone. And I realized I equate being active to being social. I'm a really social person, but my social meter runs dry really quickly. And then I end up being reclusive and just staying in anytime I don't feel like socializing when in reality I could go out and do stuff. And Katie's really good at doing that. So I did it for the first time and realized I'm actually the most active I've ever been on vacation alone because I guess I'm not depleting any energy at all socializing. So I'm more motivated to go get energy from strangers. And overall, it was just an incredible experience. I only felt scared one at one point. I got followed. The thing about my aesthetic, no one, no one in Amsterdam, they're, everyone's tall and really skinny and like Nordic looking. Besides, the only people with, again, breast implants are in the red light district. So anytime I would go somewhere that was down an alley that wasn't very populated or outside of city center, people mistook me for a prostitute. At least that's what I'm assuming. I, I That's the only time creepy things happen. I didn't realize how much I was holding myself back and how little credit I was giving myself and like infantilizing myself by not traveling alone. But 
little things like using the public transportation and when I'm jet lagged, forcing myself to stay out and still do stuff instead of sleeping. And at like the biggest, the, my proudest moment was when I first got there and I was so exhausted. And I, I asked a stranger to take my picture because that was one of the things I was most intimidated to do. Even It sounds silly. And she did. And then we bonded and she was from Texas. And then she and I ended up going to dinner. And then when I was waiting on her at dinner, there was this really beautiful trans woman next to me who started chatting with me. And so I made a friend there. And then I would make friends with the waitresses. And everywhere I go, I just felt open to meeting people and open to new experiences. And that's a side that I really like. So I just encourage everyone to do a solo trip, even if it's just a little weekend trip a few miles away. Just do it. And by not over planning and letting letting strangers kind of mold your trip and itinerary like you I'd meet someone and say where do you think I should go next and they would tell me and I would listen and it ended up just being the best experience I felt like I let go of all control for the first time in my life and yet was so in control did you meet any of the girls that you had like reached out to on TikTok beforehand Well, one of them went out of town. There was four girls. One of them went out of town. One of them's boyfriend, two of them's boyfriend came into town. And then they had wanted to meet up, but I think I had plans. It ended up not working out in that aspect, but I ended up meeting different people. I met a really lovely guy, a South African guy who was living in the city center. Best time with him. Had such a wild night. I was going to say, this is the date you went on, right? Yes. And he wanted to see me again, but I just, my commitment, not commitment issues, my just, my practical side, I just figured I don't see a point. Like I didn't want to invest too much in one person on the trip. I was there to invest in myself and my own company. So I politely declined, but he was so sweet. And now if I ever go back, I have a little friend there. I made friends at the hotel, just everywhere everywhere but it was I kept I was DMing with the the local girls and they kept giving me suggestions what was the coolest thing you did and what was the best thing you ate so here's the thing when I was last in Amsterdam I was vegan so my standards for food was extremely low no offense to vegans it's just I was on a raw till four high carb diet it was terrible But I thought Amsterdam had the best cuisine because it was the only place that had really good vegan Ethiopian food and veggie burgers done well. No offense to anyone Dutch. You have almost worse cuisine than Reykjavik and England. Like, it's up there. I I was starving the first two days. I got a Caesar salad. Let me just tell you, my first real meal there was a Caesar salad with bacon. It was soft ham. It was not bacon. (laughs) <laughs> they had tomatoes in it that they had cut two to three times. So it wasn't chopped. It was just giant wedges. Big hunks. Huge hunks. It was really <laughs> difficult. The dressing, I don't even know. I don't even want to get started. Um, the, my favorite thing was bitter balling. I'm probably butchering it, but it's it's beef stew that's frozen. And then they fry it. Saying it out loud makes me realize how gross it is. But that was my favorite thing, if that just gives you an idea. Is it in, like, fried balls? Yeah. Ew. It's weird. But that was the one thing I was like, okay, I can tolerate it. (laughs) The nicest dinner. I planned 
this incredible dinner for myself at a place called Nomads, which is super popular. And it's a really cool culinary experience. They basically, quote unquote, travel the world that you start by tasting two amouge bouge. I can't, two, two little amuse bouche. <laughs> yeah. You start by tasting two different ones and you tell them which one you like more. And that's what they base your whole culinary experience off of that country. This is the dinner I went to with the Texas friend that I met. And it was very expensive and inedible. The portions were so small, she couldn't even finish it. It was so gross. Oh no. But we were laughing so hard. So it was memorable, but another reminder that New York and Austin are the elite culinary experiences. Yeah, we're lucky to live in places with great food. Okay, and what was the coolest thing you did? The NXT Museum. I almost cried. As someone who really does not understand or appreciate art. Which is well documented on this podcast. (laughs) Well documented. I was so moved. And I was talking to my ex about this. And I was like, I guess I like art. And he was like, well, that's not really a museum, which got me thinking. But either way, it was digital art. It, you'd go into a room that was gigantic, like a stadium. And from the floor to ceiling, they would have these incredible light shows. And I was completely sober for this. Honestly, if I could redo it, I wouldn't be. Because I think it would have been even more intense and would have moved me even more. But even just being 100% sober, it was infatuating. There was one exhibit like one installation that I sat at for over 30 minutes in the one sitting, just staring. And being alone, everyone around me was snickering and whispering to each other. And I was just alone and able to immerse myself. Like I felt immersed. And then I went to other museums, like historical ones, like um, the Museum de Lume and the Rick Museum. But um, I kind of sped through I, I was I was very underwhelmed by it, but it was beautiful. But my favorite thing was going, taking my little book and reading it in the courtyard. I also conquered a photo alone in public, like setting up my phone. And I realized no one in Amsterdam does that. Everyone looked at me like I was a freak. I looked like I was, I felt, I felt really uncomfortable doing it, but I did it. Influencers in the wild. They don't exist in, in Amsterdam. But they turned out cute. You got great photos. And at the end of the day, that's what matters. So who cares? Exactly. Oh, I did go to the other restaurant I went to that was a super highly rated one. <laughs> it was so not good and so expensive. Like I was, it, it was really not good. But you know what? It's, it's on brand for a lot of places in Europe. No offense. It's just. I mean, it's really beautiful. You had an amazing time there and like, you know, an important experience. But yeah, it's not a food destination. But it was a culinary experience. Like, I ate weird shit. Speaking of eating weird shit, I feel like the number one question that, like, people are going to have when they find out, oh, you were in Amsterdam is, did you do edibles? Did you smoke? Like, did you go to the coffee shops? And, like, if not, why? I didn't go to any, and I did not consume any drugs. And I think that's another reason I enjoyed this vacation so much is because I was so coherent. This is what I said earlier about I let go fully of control, but also was so in control. There was one night with the South African guy where we got so wasted, had so much fun on brand. I always get super drunk, listen to so much music, dance around and make out and cuddle like in sleepover. (laughs) 
my clothes stayed on the whole trip. I'm a blue baller, but that's fine. I just, I like spooning and making out. I mean, there should be no expectation anyway. Who gives a shit? Blue ball all you want. Right. And he was such a sweetheart. Like these guys, I wouldn't even sleep over and let it get that far if the, if the guys were ever annoying. But that was the only night that I felt like I allowed myself to get kind of fucked up and didn't feel the need to be super aware of my surroundings because the guy did make me feel so comfortable and I felt safe with him. Whereas when I'm on my own, I don't really have anyone looking out. So I didn't do any edibles. I get way too fucked up on edibles and I would not have been able to enjoy them at all. I think that was a really smart decision and... I just know, like, if you say Amsterdam, that's going to be, like, the first question people have. I, going to the red light district was insane. I got in trouble because I tried taking – I took a picture of one of the women. I didn't know that you couldn't, but – Oh, are you not supposed to? I mean, I guess it's, like, a respect thing, but, like, I guess it makes sense. But if, are there, like, signs that say don't do that? There probably are, but Dutch is a language that is so fucking confusing. And you think – Amsterdam and European men are way hotter than Americans. Yes. Oh my fucking God. They're, the men, I'm currently talking to one. He's 6'6 six, six, and he looks like Ashton Kutcher. I really think like, yeah, there's something in the water, something over there. Like they are way taller in Europe than they are here. And they all seem like just like really well put together. I think the fashion is way more interesting. Like maybe it's just because there are like so many metropolitan like cities there that there are just more city boys. Whereas like here, if a guy doesn't live in New York or LA, like his style is probably going to suck. Well, not necessarily, but the, I, I don't know what it is, but we know I love Swedish men and I always will. Dutch, German, Dutchmen, German men, and Swedish men. Some, I mean, the hottest, they're all over 6'3". They're all chiseled, like the best bone structure. And they're all so sweet so respectful. I mean, they set a very high standard. It is hard to come back to New York and get back on the dating apps and and just be around all the like short, ugly men in New York City. You hate to say it, but like it's tr- and I mean, in New York, you see it all the time where like you'll see a couple and the girl is infinity times hotter than the guy. You see so many couples like that in New York City and it's just I don't know some something about it. The guys just are not that good looking in New York. I think it's just an American Thing in general. I think men are much better looking in New York. There's a lot of Europeans in New York too, though, you have to remember. But they are, but they're European. So like they still count as Europeans. They don't count as Americans. Situational. There's one really hot one. The rest are good looking, but there's one that's like drop dead. Does he look European? He's my type, so So yeah. 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 <laughs> but yeah, I mean, the big takeaways, Amsterdam is one of the most beautiful places you can go it looks fake I mean the flowers the little rings of the bike bells it it, you feel like you're on a movie set cobblestone everywhere but just like everywhere else you go out of city center and you're hit with reality it's just a regular place but in the city center it was breathtaking I woke up so excited every day no matter how jet lagged I was just to breathe the fresh air and frolic around and I would I found myself stopping and smelling flowers That is not in my character. It did look really beautiful. All the photos you put on your story, like all of the flowers and the gardens and like all of the museums, the museums look sick, first of all. I bet so much of the art and like architecture and stuff there is designed to give you like an insane experience when you're on drugs. 
It is. Those those museums looked insane. And they're so experiential. You're like immersed in the art and it just it looks sick. What I would love is when I finally am in a relationship again or even a a girl's trip, uh, not I, I there's specifically a relationship when I feel like protected by a a guy. I don't care if it sounds sexist, that's my opinion, but like I would like to go back where I can partake in more of the legal substances because a lot is legal there. I think shrooms are legal there. Um, I would really like to go back and not babysat, but like can just feel at peace and like horny on whatever drug and just take all of everything in the psychedelics or whatever, the visual effects, like that would be magical. The only reason I say with a guy, not a group of girls is because if we're all fucked up girls, we're still a target. There's still creepy men after dark. I didn't go out much after dark because I did find myself getting catcalled a lot. And I just, mm-hmm. and I was so tired because I would walk. I would, lit- I'm not kidding you. I would walk all day. I didn't even know where I was going sometimes. Like just, I went all over and I would be so exhausted by nightfall that I was like, you know what? Why risk it? I'm just going to have an early night. Yeah, I mean, that's that's like the ideal way to spend time when you're traveling is just on foot, seeing the city, seeing everywhere in person and just like exploring because that's how you find cool shit. And I found so much. It's such a stimulating city, but not stimulating in the way New York is. It's stimulating in the way where you can stop and gaze at things, whereas New York is stimulating where you're like whiplash, turning your head out. What noise was that? Who just touched me? Who smells like that? Amsterdam is like, there's a beautiful thing over there. Oh my God, another beautiful thing. Oh my God, another one. And it's just, it was just incredible. I, I'm so happy I did it. And I'm entering my 30s having done it and on such a good note, except I did have an emotional breakdown, which I didn't even tell you right before we recorded. I really miss my mom. And as disappointed as I am, I'm not going to, I still might celebrate my birthday with Katie. I haven't seen my mom since last October. And I just really was looking forward to seeing her. And she called me and updated me on some like legal thing we needed to talk about. And I found myself getting really angry and telling her like, wait, she has, she lost her power last night. And I said, well, how can you charge your phone? She said, I can charge it in the car. And I said, okay, if you go in the garage, you have to keep the garage doors open. She said, oh, I don't have the cars in the garage. There's all the paperwork from the island stuff and all that in there. And I had a thought of when she dies, I have to go through all of this paperwork and it's in Mississippi. And when I was on the phone with her, I found myself raising my voice, which I never do. And I was like, what's going to happen when our lawyer retires? Who's going to take over the case? And how do I know what paperwork is what? What's going to happen when you die? Like, how, how can I know what to do? I'm like getting emotional now. And I literally just started bawling my eyes out. And I was like, I, I'm not going to be able to have that many birthdays with her. And I, mm-hmm. I haven't had one selfishly with her. And I don't know how long because I'm always with my friends. And I'm just thinking like, if I only see her once a year, she's turning 70 in October and she lives like 15 to 20 more years. That's like a couple of handfuls, full hand. I can't do math. That was not many times to see her. And I don't know. I just got really frustrated at the thought of her like dying in the hurricane before I can see her. <laughs> well, thank goodness that didn't happen. And her power is back on. So she can charge her phone and you can talk to her. But I'm really glad that you're going to be able to go and see her the next month instead. 
I feel like we're both in like a really tough situation with that right now. I haven't seen my dad who's like, you know, my rock and my most important person. I haven't seen him in over two years because of COVID and just some like family health stuff. And, you know, my, I have a million living grandparents still, but like they keep dying and like, I can't go home. Well, this goes back to what we talked about why we do what we do. Why do we, why are we scared to take off from the job? Because we don't want to lose our job. We don't want to lose money. We don't want to lose stability. Why do we even need that? To sustain a livelihood to make memories. <laughs> so the big picture is to make the memories. Take off from the job. We need to go see our parents. Mm-hmm. And we're both, I mean, we're both prioritizing that in October. Yeah, but it's just, I, I really had hyped it up turning 30 with her. Yeah. I don't want to make the memories. I'm just all about making memories. Last time I felt this way was right before my dad died. The memory cram in the memories and I'm doing it again and I'm like why am I doing it subconsciously it's the death of your 20s (laughs) yeah it's because my 20s are dying I just miss Katie and I miss my mom and I don't want to turn 30 without either of them but uh anyway Amsterdam was incredible I'm really proud of myself and I will be booking a million more solo trips I almost think I'll be solo traveling more than not more than I am telling you the biggest like unlock for living your best life is becoming okay with doing shit by yourself. Like I have said this for so long, take yourself to dinner, go to movies alone, take like do everything that you can alone because half the time, like I figure out I like it better that way. Solo travel is so fucking cool. It's so important. And if that, if there's anything that like anyone takes away from this episode, like do something by yourself, even if it's tiny. Even if it's just going to like it's in your own city. sit at like a bar and have one drink by yourself, a glass of wine while you read a good book or something like that, or take yourself to a movie if you can't handle like not having something to do while you're out by yourself. But like, it feels so good. Yeah. I mean, I found myself turning down things I wanted to do because my social meter was overwhelmed, like over overdone. And to your point of like making memories, I think you actually wrote this down. Maybe some memories are like, maybe not every single memory needs to be shared in order to be important. There are things that like only you experience that can be special just for you. And that doesn't make them less important. It doesn't make them less meaningful. Yeah. Maybe all memories aren't better shared, which my whole life I said, every memory is better shared, which, you know, most are. But if you don't have a certain person you really love and are able to share them with, and you just have acquaintances or people to pass the time with, you don't, it's not necessary. Like you, it sounds stupid, but like, love your own company, love yourself. Katie always says it and go make the memory. You don't need people, filler people to make them with you. And if you're socially exhausted, you can still go. And I just felt so refreshed after doing so much. I think there's so much to be said for having like a tight circle of people that like you actually share things with and that you actually like enjoy making memories with because you like filler friends, you hit it exactly on the nose. Like what's the fucking point of going to do something meaningful and making the memory if you're going to be annoyed by the person you're with the whole time or if you're going to be bored by them or if it's like, you know, just a filler person just to have somebody else there. Wouldn't you rather enjoy your own company? And then when you do that, you end up wasting so much money and ruining the experience because social anxiety kicks in. You end up over drinking 
or like over talking and not even enjoying the experience, like not enjoying the silence and taking in the experience. And yeah, it's just very enlightening. Now I'm looking at our other notes. Should we save the TikTok fight for a different episode? Yeah, we can save that for a different episode. I do have a please stop though. Speaking of Europe, okay. <laughs> uh, French manicures has nothing to do with Europe, but you know, France, please stop French manicures. Everyone who's doing like French tips, doing the acrylics, doing the like gel filler or whatever, whatever, French manicures, unless they're like interesting, but like a traditional French manicure, please stop trying to bring them back. I, I don't like them. I'm not a fan. I like when people do a spin on it. Yeah, like a fun spin. Yes, all for it. But like, oh God, no more basic ass French manicures. I, I, maybe it's because I live in Texas and it's a little less fashion forward here, but like so many girls have French tips and it looks so trashy. So the French khaki pants are the equivalent to French manicures. Yeah, just outdated. Birkenstocks. It ages you. Unless they're a cool color on the tip. Exactly. Unless it's a cool, fresh spin on it. I will allow that all day, every day. I think those are really cool. But like a classic French tip, like it, I think it makes you seem older than you are. Agree. I got so much Botox last week, speaking of older than you are. I have been doing less and less. That's probably because you started, you started early, which I wish I had started earlier, to be honest, because you don't have a single, you don't look anywhere close to 30. And my team keeps mistaking me for being 25, which is amazing. Every <laughs> woman who was about over 40 years old on my flight to Amsterdam and in Amsterdam in general looked just like Yolanda Hadid. Like the Hadids are not that special, guys. Just go to Amsterdam. Everyone looks like them. I do think Yolanda Hadid is beautiful. What are our thoughts on her Munchausen's and the whole Lyme disease thing? Ooh, okay. I mean, I can't speculate because I don't want to get sued by anybody, but... You're allegedly in front of it. I did think... I mean, I thought it was hilarious that Lisa Rinna was, like, just attacking her about this. I don't know. I don't think it's anybody else's business. I'm proud of us for not touching on the Erica Girardi drama. I just... I couldn't follow it. I, You know, I don't really watch Housewives, so, like, I have no interest in it. I just love Erica Jane. And I, I wish that, you know, she had gotten her Broadway debut as Roxy Hart. I think she would have killed it. That's the only thing I know about her. Other things were killed instead, like innocent victims on the plane crash who never received financial compensation from Tom. But anyway, moving on. Oh my on. God. She crashed a plane? Yes, allegedly. I literally don't know anything about this. <laughs> well, no, that is the, that is what happened. But no, Tom funneled like, tune into any other podcast that's pop culture you will find out. Yeah. Um, come to us for, you know, talking about French manicures in Amsterdam while everyone else is talking about the housewives. This is a French manicure Amsterdam pod only. So, okay, speaking of hurricanes, I have have I ever talked about the whole Hurricane Katrina thing? No. I thought this would be a good episode to kind of talk a little bit about that because let's explain context here because I feel like we've touched on it, but, like, we haven't really – explain the full situation. Yeah. Charles and I were both supposed to fly to New Orleans on Wednesday. We're recording this on Monday night. And we were supposed to fly into New Orleans on Wednesday to celebrate her birthday this week. And obviously, if you've like been anywhere in the world, you know that a massive hurricane, Hurricane Ida, hit the coast of New Orleans um, over the weekend. 
And so that entire city is without power right now. There's flooding everywhere. Um, a bunch of power lines are down and then a transformer fell into the river. So they're thinking that parts of the city may not get power back until November. Like that's how bad it is. Um, but Chaz has actually lived through Hurricane Katrina when she lived in New Orleans. Right. It was a wild time. I was entering my freshman year of high school, madly in love with Zach Beeler, my little boyfriend at the time. We were separated. It was traumatic. His mom drove him to Shreveport, and our parents set it up to surprise each other. I gave him a hand job in the back seat under his hoodie. No one knew. The parents were in the car. I still feel guilty about this to this day, but my mom doesn't listen to this, so I can say that. The good old hand job in front of your parents. It was under the hoodie, and we were making eye contact with each other, no one else. So it's it's okay. How old were you? Twelve. <gasps> Can you imagine a 12-year-old giving a child's penis a hand job literally in front of her own mother? And, like, I bet you thought you were being sneaky because you were 12, and I bet you thought nobody saw, but, like, I bet you 100% your parents were just like, what the fuck? No, no, no. I was being sneaky. We, my dad walked in on me straddling him once in front of a mirror, giving another hand job. And it was terrible. Everyone was very upset. My dad pretended he, actually, he pretended he didn't see anything. He did have a talk with me. Does Zach listen to the pod? Shout out to Zach if you're, if you're listening. <laughs> he has like, he has a child and is like divorced now, but we still are Instagram friends. Uh, shout out and congrats on becoming a father. <laughs> oh, it's one of the many Zachs. I was around 13, I think, because freshman in high school, maybe 14. Anyway, my house, the whole first floor had to be gutted. So I grew up on Lake Pontchartrain, which opens up into the Gulf of Mexico. It is the lake. It's a giant lake that separates Slidell and New Orleans. If you live in the South, you know what I'm talking about. But anyway, it's a big lake, really bad for hurricanes because the Gulf of Mexico and we had a big boat dock, and it was so weird. I had this insanely intense dream a couple of days before Katrina of my boat dock rushing through my house and, like, shattering my house. And I'll never forget it. Psychic, even then. But the that did happen. Our boat dock, a 50-foot boat dock, was completely crushed. Um, the lake submerged our bottom floor of our house. There was so much mud in it, like lake water in our house. And we were the only neighborhood at the time above sea level. We were 13 feet above sea level, where as most neighborhoods in Louisiana and Southeast Louisiana are below sea level. Those are the places that had water go over the roof really bad. I was very lucky. We had to gut the first floor. We were able to live in our second floor because it was a two-story house. And my dad purchased a big motor home. Um, but we spent months in Shreveport, Louisiana, living in a hotel was the most depressed I'd ever been. My anxiety was so bad that I, I didn't know what was happening then. And cause we were displaced and I didn't know when I would see Zach. I didn't know when I would see my friends. I was supposed to be starting high school. No, I didn't know who was coming back. Um, and then my dad, the worst part of Katrina, which I don't even think I ever told you. Also, we had all of my guinea pigs in this hotel. Me and my dad would let them play. <laughs> we had three at the time. We would let them play in the hallway. And this Peruvian woman asked my dad if he was going to eat one of them. And he wow. 
he really he laid into her anyway though we would let them play in the hotel garden we would let them play all over the hotel room it was fun it was another bonding moment with my dad thankful for those memories but one day we were leaving to go to the mall the only thing you can do in Shreveport and my dad keeled over and and faint and like passed (gasps) out and my mom started screaming freaking out and I called 911 and I'm the one who greeted the paramedics and my mom I thought she was gonna faint like I thought my dad was dying. He looked like he was dying. Did he like come to by the time the paramedics got there? I don't remember. It was a blur. I don't think so. I just remember that him them whisking him away. I thought he had a heart attack. And to this day, they never, it, I think they knew and my parents didn't want to tell me. I think my dad's always had heart issues and my parents were hiding it from me to not worry me because I already was so fragile at that point. And he was hospitalized for over a week, if I remember correctly. And to the point where they even had a priest come visit him, which they only do that when people are going to die. That's really scary. I could They wouldn't allow me to see him. And my mom doesn't drive on the interstate, so we couldn't. I was just trapped in the hotel. This was before cell phones. And my dad didn't have a cell phone. He would only call me from the hospital. He would call the hotel sometimes and talk to me. And he was telling me, I remember one time him telling me, don't let me die here. And that's when he told me about the priest. Like, I think they had him on morphine oh my god like a 13 year old child (laughs) I was traumatized and that was the worst thing of Katrina and even after moving back from Katrina he a similar situation had happened he had passed out one day and the paramedics came but he was fine again but anyway to this day I still don't know why that happened he told me they didn't know and my mom said the same thing but looking back it probably had something to do with him dying maybe I've never been that scared in my life Disasters like that, I mean, it like reminds me on a smaller scale because like people being displaced for that long is insane. But like the storm that happened here in Texas over the winter and just like the constant level of anxiety that you feel and like that's like with the internet and with access to information. Like I can't imagine just having no contact, no access to information, no cell phones. Like you don't know when you're going to hear from your people. And you're completely like displaced from your home and you like you're with your family, thank goodness. But like it is so unbelievably stressful and it just feels like a fight for survival. Even if your basic needs are taken care of, it's just like mentally and emotionally so draining and exhausting. And financially. I mean, yeah. luckily we were, we were well off, but I'm trying to remember the time, amount of time we were displaced. It was from one and a half to three months. Because even when we were able to go back, we weren't allowed in our neighborhood. They had police everywhere because the looting, that's the other thing. We didn't know, we didn't, anytime we would evacuate for hurricanes, we would bring enough for a few days and we didn't bring valuables because looting, like that wasn't a thing. People literally were shooting each other. Everyone thinks it's hyped up on the news. I know firsthand my neighbor's houses were completely raided. Luckily, my house wasn't, as far as I know, but we didn't know if all of our valuables were going to be gone. We didn't know. We couldn't get, also, we couldn't, the phone lines were down, so we couldn't get in touch with family members for days. So we didn't know, because we had family members who didn't leave. They're really stubborn. It was just, I've never felt that unsure, like that level of uncertainty, and I was a child, so I can't even, the stress my dad was under 
and my mom. I can't even fathom it. And, you know, I commend my mom for not, like, for having her husband almost die, being displaced, having me to take care of. She stayed, I have no idea what happened. And at the time, I thought my dad was fine. But as I'm telling you this, he clearly wasn't. The fact that a priest mm-hmm. visited him and my mom put on such a brave face and genuinely made me feel comforted and like things would be okay. I just didn't know when. I don't think I'm capable of doing that. I wear my emotions on my sleeves. Like I can't, she's very strong, but she It's has- amazing though what people and like you would find yourself capable of like as an adult, you know, in a situation like that, if you had to be there for someone else and had to make sure that someone who's helpless was okay, like you find that in yourself to be strong for someone else. You can't always do it by yourself, but like I always think the biggest motivator is like doing it for someone that you care about. Yeah, I mean, I've never doubted how much my mom loves me. Aww. And I was such a fucking little piece of shit. Like I was just terrible back then, especially with the stress. We love you, Mary Lou. Ugh. But anyway, that was my Katrina Katrina experience. Very grateful that that, that didn't happen while we were there because we would be fucked. It obviously sucks that we're not going to New Orleans, and I'm very, very sad about it. But hopefully we'll be able to figure something else out, and we will still be together next week regardless. Yeah. I think this is all we have time for today, but I have good news to end on. Okay. What would that be? The best, most exciting news of the week is we have merch now. Oh, yeah. we Well, yeah, kind of. Yeah. Dude, they turned out so good. I put one on the back of my phone. Um, We have stickers and we will be running some sticker giveaways. They look fucking cool. You can put them on your phone. You can put them on your water bottle, put them on your notebook or your planner or like, you know, whatever, what have you, wherever you put your stickers. But they're sick and you're going to start to see them uh, covering the globe. So if you find yourself in the fortunate position of being gifted a sticker by us, Make sure you share one with a friend. So mad I didn't have them for Amsterdam. I'm scattering that. I'm covering New York in these stickers. Yes. Covering it. I'm so proud of them. They are so cute. Just I know. They look so good. They're so cute. Guys, our logo is cool as fuck. It was designed by our friend Elise. Um, She's actually a really legit podcast graphic designer. So she knows her stuff. Um, And we have the sickest logo in the game. So I'm really, really proud of them. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for being part of this journey with us. If you don't yet, what are you doing? Make sure you follow us on Instagram. It's at pleasestop.pod, especially as we are about to be together again so soon. So more content coming your way and stay tuned for some really fun giveaways. We're also hoping to get some more merch made by the fall. So stay tuned for that as well. Yeah. Next time I talk to you, I'll be 30. Happy birthday, Chaz. Happy birthday to me. <laughs> Stickers. Bye. Bye. <laughs>